Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 35 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And we're excited for today's show because Joe put together his 26-man roster prediction. I'm going to react. I'm going to ask questions. And as always, we're going to answer your questions on today's show as we kind of get towards the end of spring training here. Opening day is on the horizon. I know we're excited. It's been a pretty eventful spring training, and hopefully, you know, we're all hoping for the same thing, for it to end with the Francisco Lindor and Michael Conforto extensions. But, Joe, no guests this week. I know we had a lot of fun talking to Tommy last week, and we will have more guests on the show. But how are we feeling? Are we ready for uh, some opening day baseball soon? Yeah, we're Brandon Nimmo days away. Uh, We're getting... There we go. We're really getting close, and, I mean... I, I still am going to watch, you know, whatever spring training games they actually put on TV the rest of the way, but I'm over it. I'm over spring training games. I'm ready to just see the regular players playing full games and, and all that. So I'm I'm ready to be done with spring training. Uh, it, it's funny because when spring training starts, I'm like, I need to watch every game. I can't wait. Then spring training goes on for a couple weeks. I'm just like, all right, I saw enough of this stuff. Let's Let's go ahead and get the opening day. I've absolutely gotten the same way. I think in the beginning, I I couldn't get enough of it where I would basically build my day around it. And, you know, now it's on in the background, but that's exactly what it is. I'll say this, you know, and maybe Lindor just loves playing on TV because since it felt like he was never in the lineup on days they were on TV and then, you know, he was always playing what are their road games that are not televised and now he started to play recently, and he has four home runs in his last five games, his last five spring training games. So it's been, I think that part of it's been really fun. Everybody's been hitting. Pete Alonso's had a monster, monster spring. I think that's been good to see. Obviously, J.D. Davis going yard recently. We've seen Dom before he got a little banged up uh, with some big at-bats. I know Conforto was hitting. You know, Nimmo, really everybody was hitting across the board, it felt like, and yeah, and poor Jeff McNeil is getting hit by pitches. I think he's been hit seven times this spring, so I don't know what the heck is going on with that. You know, the pitching is, has been pretty good. We're hoping that Carlos Carrasco can, can get healthy. So we're going to talk about this 26-man roster, and, and I think that's where, you know, the starting lineup is where this conversation starts. So Joe has the starting lineup, and no surprises really here. James McCann, obviously behind home plate. Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil. J.D. Davis, Francisco Lindor, Dom Smith, Brandon Nimmo, Michael Conforto. And and obviously that's not the lineup. That is just the starting players, uh, the position players. So, Joe, I'm not going to ask you were there any surprises here because there, quite frankly, just weren't. But now that you see this all on paper, you've seen a, a pretty productive spring, which can translate to nothing in the regular season. It could translate to a hot start. It can go a lot of different ways. But what are you watching with this group 
when the season kicks off. I'm really watching how they kind of handle themselves defensively because I think this team's going to rake. Like Jeff McNeil, like you said, he keeps getting hit by pitches and he hasn't had much of a spring. I think he's hitting under 100 this spring, but we know Jeff McNeil is going to hit. So like that's literally the least of my worries. Uh, How does J.D. Davis handle third? Seemingly throughout the spring, he's gotten a little better, a little better. Uh, He started a couple double plays today. And then obviously in the outfield, Brandon Nimmo's actually had, you know, a decent spring in center. Uh, it seems like they're positioning him perhaps a little better, playing him deeper. And he's he's better coming in on the ball than chasing a ball back. He even robbed a home run, which was nice to see. So hopefully you get a little something out of him defensively in center because he was one of the worst in baseball last year. So ho- hopefully you can get, even if you could get, below slightly below average defense out of center field that would be uh you know out of nimmo at least would be better than kind of we expected so defense defensively is going to be the concern but when you look at this offense it's gonna be top two or three in the national league and run scored no question in my mind yeah anything else would be a disappointment i mean that's how this offense was built that's what we're building off of last year, which was a, you know, they didn't make the playoffs, but that was the one thing you could sit there and take away and go, okay, this is a team that can score a lot of runs. They hit for a lot of power. Now they got some speed actually in the starting lineup with Lindor. I think that that's a nice dimension added to it. And we know guys like, you know, Conforto and, and, you know, Nimmo and McNeil to an extent can run, but they're, they're not speed in the lineup. So, the starting lineup is we're excited for it, and and if that group stays healthy and stays together, their offensive output should be colossal. And, and now that brings us to the bench because naturally, like in all sports, guys get hurt, guys need days off. There's going to be you know there's no DH, so these guys are going to be relied on in big pinch hitting situations. And you know this was a group that has suffered a big injury in the spring. Besides Carrasco, I'd call it the biggest injury with Jose Martinez because I thought he could have been a pretty big specialist off the bench. So you have it as Jonathan VR, which a signing that we are excited about offensively, Kevin Pillar, Luis Guillorme, Albert Almora Jr., and Thomas Nito as the backup catcher. So what do you have your eyes on in this group? For me, it's it's off the top, it's Guillorme, and how much of a push he makes from going from bench guy to a potential starting lineup guy. That's the one thing that I've circled, but what are you looking at? Yeah, no, for sure, Guillerme is, to me, the number one guy to watch because he's had a fantastic spring. He's been great defensively and offensively, playing three different positions. So will he push J.D. Davis this year? Or could he push for second base reps and Jeff McNeil play some third base where he's maybe a little less comfortable? But it gives you some some options there. Uh, and Kevin Pillar, to me, is one that really stuck out. He's had an a really awesome spring at the plate. Uh, he's hitting 320. He's had has a couple homers, I believe. He's hitting the ball hard every single time he comes to the plate. So even if his defense is not the elite glove that it used to be, I still think he he looks good out there uh, defensively and at the plate. Last year he was very very good. I think he's kind of come into his own potentially offensively, and to me that that's exciting because now you'll be able to play Pilar against lefties who he mashes lefties you'll be able to put him in late in games and not feel like you're giving up offensively because to me that's a big thing is yeah it's easy to 
take Brandon Nimmo out and put someone better defensively in center field. But who's to say that you don't end up needing an at-bat from that person? And if that guy is going to get out every time, then you're not really helping yourself. So a guy like Pilar, I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty confident that if you throw him into a game, you know, late, he'll be able to play the field and then give you an at-bat if you really need it. And of course, I, I would I got a shout out Tomas Nito, who has hit, hit a, I think he has two home runs this spring. So he, he's hitting the ball pretty well. And defensively, he's really good. The pitchers love throwing to him. I think he's made some strides on the offensive side of the ball that I think the Mets might actually have, you know, an above average backup catcher. So they're, they're in a good position bench wise. And, and to me, the bench and lineup, Obviously, after the Jose Martinez injury, were you know super easy to make. It, it, there was no one debate, no debate. You know, I wasn't gonna put a Brandon Drury on the team or a, a Jose Peraza or someone like that. So I I think this is you know as straightforward as you're gonna get. So you thought the bench was pretty cut and dried. You didn't have to make any hard decisions here. Nope. I mean, once once Jose Martinez got injured, I looked at that as Alvaro Mora got his ticket to the big league team. So. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have anyone else that I really seriously considered to make the make the roster. And now Morris had some some big at bats in the spring. You know, for somebody that it's basically the understanding with the signing was maybe he gets back to form to be a plus defender, but the bat we just I think expectations are severely limited, and I think he's shown some pop this spring that. You know, maybe it's early signs of working with Chili Davis again as something that is promising, or maybe, you know, it's just a spring. But I think that having, you know, some some outfield depth, which is really important, of course, and with him and Pilar, and I think that he's somebody that if, if you get anything from him, it is a big, big bonus from this bench. But I look at this group, and and we've said this many times, it feels like VR is the guy that hears his name called the most in terms of at-bats in big situations. We know he's going to be the extra innings on-base player, but he's somebody also that is is probably going to get a lot of at-bats. Guillaume is the a super glove, but it seems like he has made strides as a hitter over the last two years or over the last year and a half. And like you said, Pilar is somebody that that is a pro, uh, really somebody that you can rely on from this bench. So... A lot of wild cards on the bench because Nito and Giorme have quietly developed into plus backups recently. And if they can sustain that, I think the rest of the bench is much easier to answer the questions about with the veterans. So those are probably the two X factors here that can make this, uh, you know, from a mediocre or average bench to a really good one. Yeah, no, I think the Mets certainly have a chance to have a very good bench. My only issue that I will have is if they do suffer a couple injuries and these guys have to get into the everyday lineup, who's going to replace them on the bench? Because They're not backed up, You're correct. Yeah, yeah, they're not backed up really well. So our backups aren't backed up, but from you know just looking at the opening day roster, I think lineup and bench, I mean, you couldn't ask for them to do much more, in my opinion, at least if you're being realistic. And that kind of goes back to the core argument or thing we bring up often is that this is a franchise right now that just has nothing in AAA ball. They really just don't have any, you know, because if there's a big injury here, 
you are looking to call somebody up that, you know, kind of like David Peterson last year, right? Where we really didn't know if he'd be ready. And we didn't know if we'd see him. And it turns out, yes and yes to both, huge upside. It doesn't seem like they have a position player like that. It feels like a lot of their guys are in A ball and maybe double A ball. And that might be, you know, we're looking for, we're nitpicking here, looking for weaknesses of this team. But that that has to be one, right? Yeah, for sure. There's nothing. Like, there is nothing you'd, you know, if you had a significant injury and had to start one of these guys from the bench, like I said, you're you're good with that. If, you know, I don't know, Jeff McNeil gets hurt and you have to plug in Guillaume or VR, you're not heart heartbroken it stinks to lose someone like McNeil but you can get by with those guys but then at that point you're calling up a, a like I said a Drury or a Jose Peraza uh, if you have an out an injury in the Malik outfield Smith. Malik Smith or Janesh Fargus has had a you know a pretty decent spring but those are all you know those are triple a guys that you know they, they've been in the bigs before but those are not guys you want on your major league team in 2021 you know ideally at least all right, so now we'll move over to a unit that that has had that injury and will have that, you know, moment of, hey, who's up next? And the good thing is, one of the biggest priorities we saw this offseason from a new regime is to add starting pitching talent, whether and on the back end. Of course, they solved it up front, but also in the six, seven, and eight spots. So your starting rotation, you have it as no surprise who's number one here. Jacob DeGrom, Marcus Stroman as the number two, Taiwan Walker as the three, David Peterson as the four, and then Joey Lucchese as the five, which I'm going to assume the odd man out is Jordan Yamamoto. And of course, we are hoping that in a month we will see Carlos Carrasco again. So my questions for you are, because I don't think one through three are particularly that interesting in a good way, is... You know, what What are our expectations for David Peterson this year? Because I'm assuming you have him as the four means he would have been the five without a Carrasco injury. And can Lucchese hold the four in the meantime? Yeah, with Peterson, my expectations are him to be an innings eater. I don't expect him to post an ERA in the twos or anything like that. I expect him to be a guy that takes the ball and he, he is built to do this. I mean, he's... 6'6", 240, he's built to eat innings. That's what David Peterson was made for. So I need him to eat as many innings as possible early in the season while, you know, Cookie Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard are working back from their injuries. I need him to be that reliable fourth guy, even if his ERA is in the upper threes or even around four. Like, I'm not going to lose my mind about that. But he needs to go out there and provide solid innings because this Bullpen also has some questions with some injuries going on there too. So they need they need innings as as much as possible. Um, and then at the back end at five, I was actually very close to putting Jordan Yamamoto as the five and putting Lucchese in the bullpen. But once we get to the bullpen, I'll talk about kind of some issues with options and things like that that kind of led me let's put Lucchese in the rotation let's have Yamamoto available at the alternate site and AAA when, when that starts you know assuming they can you know be healthy for that first month and don't require him but you have to utilize you have to be smart when you're building an opening day roster where you have to take into account minor league options people on minor league deals that have opt-outs like 
you want to keep as many people in the organization as you can and not um, not not just expose people to waivers or, or lose guys for, you know, a short-term kind of fix. When it comes to Carrasco, I, you mentioned a month. That seems very optimistic. I think the Mets are hoping for Memorial Day. So it's it's going to be a bit. That would be Car- two months then. Yeah, yeah. Carrasco is going to be out for a bit. So you're going to be it's it's really not unrealistic to say that Carrasco and Syndergaard might come back around the same time, maybe within, you know, a week or two of each other. So, and Syndergaard's on the 60-day IL, of course, which knocks him out through May. I don't know if the Mets intend to do that with Carrasco, but it is an option if they want to just play it safe. I mean, if ultimately, you know, when we get to the bullpen, we're going to have to open up a 40-man roster spot for one of the guys that I have making the bullpen. So, We'll, you'll have to figure out a way. You could DFA somebody, of course, but I think if you look at Carrasco as like a, you know, call it mid-May or, you know, something like that, is it worth it to 60-day IL him, make sure he's extra good, and yeah, you lose basically another start or two from him, but then you get back him, in theory, fully healthy, and everything works out. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that part of it. They have to be very certain about his availability and and when that's going to be. So with that being said, and this is a first world problems scenario, but I have to ask it. If we get to that point, say Memorial Day weekend, let's let's just even push it back to the beginning of June. And Cindergaard and Carrasco are ready to go. And I won't get crazy here and say both of them have been perfect. But one of Peterson and Lucchese has been very good the first two months of the season. And the other one has been what we expect, average. We'll say Lucchese's pitching to a 4.2 ERA. He's getting by. He's eating innings. The Mets are winning some of his starts because they have such a good offense. But he's what you expect from really a sixth starter. What the heck do the Mets do? I mean, I, I just can't figure out especially a young guy like Peterson and Lucchese's young too, that you just say, hey, tough break. We don't care that you're having your breakout year of your life. We got to a guy that was one of the better pitchers in the NL at one point, another guy that's been one of the better pitchers in the American League for a long time, and we got to get these guys in the rotation. Like, How do you manage that situation? I think David Peterson would end up in AAA. and wow. back starting That's tough. Ga- it's tough, but I think he'd end up there. And then I think you'd see Lucchese shifted into the bullpen where he can be that multi-inning reliever because he has that flexibility. And frankly, he, he might be better off there. I know he has issues when you get to like the third time through the lineup. So he could potentially be a fit as that multi-inning type reliever. And he could piggyback Carrasco and Syndergaard because you're probably going to want to stagger their innings a little bit so you'll be able to utilize Lucchese I think more and I, I know you said it's tough to say tough break but it might just be tough break for David Peterson I mean at the end of the day like you said things likely won't go that perfectly but in the in the event that they do I, I think David Peterson ends up the odd man out of the rotation and you also have to assume he is going to be somebody that's on more of an innings limit than anyone else in this group, correct? Yeah, probably. I'd assume so, because he hasn't thrown a ton of innings in his career at all. 
I'm interested to see how much they push Stroman, given the zero innings pitched last year. But he's on the one-year qualifying offer. They'll they'll push him. Yeah, a I was lot. just gonna. Let's I was just, just say, say that he, he's on the one-year qualifying offer. Uh, you know how football teams handle running backs in their walk year sometimes. I think the Mets might uh might pull that with our guys throw. All right, so to round it out, the bullpen, and, and this is the. The most interesting one of the group in terms of decision-making. I know you had to make some difficult decisions here. It probably makes it maybe even more difficult without Seth Lugo to start the year. And and he's a guy that I think we expect back. We hope back a month from opening day. While, as you did, you know, say Carrasco, probably two months. So Edwin Diaz, no surprise there. Trevor May, no surprise there. Both those guys at, Separate times have been big acquisitions with big expectations. Miguel Castro, really good spring. And it's not like they didn't they didn't get him for nothing. There were expectations when Brody made that trade. We're hoping he could be a big piece. Aaron Loop, obviously a, a bit of a specialist signing this offseason, but one where we we knew he's written in ink. So those four kind of written in ink. Jerry's Familia. He's going to be a part of the bullpen, and I think he'll be, I think he'll be okay this year. I don't think he'll be good by any means. I think he'll just be, you know, a middle reliever that with a lot of uh, volatility is the word I'll use. Dylan Batanzas, you have on here. I'm not convinced he could pitch in the major leagues anymore. Jacob Barnes, a very interesting player that is on a bit of a hot streak at this moment, and somebody we did not talk about coming into this year and Mike Montgomery. So, I don't think you need to spend that much time, Joe, on explaining why you have Diaz, May, Castro, and even Loop, and even Familia to an extent. But how did these bottom three come together? Yeah, so for, for those first ones, what I will touch on, Familia's just going to drive us freaking crazy. That's just the way it is. Like he's he, He's not going to be awesome. He's not going to be terrible. But he's going to have days when he's awesome and days when he's terrible. And that's just going to average out to being, you know, just a okay middle reliever and I want to give some love to Miguel Castro for a second because I think he has a chance to be the x factor in this bullpen entirely maybe on this team on the entire team yeah maybe I mean he's to me he's he looks super legitimate he's locating his fastball which is one of the biggest problems for him and he he throws 98 to 100 so you know he's gonna pump it in there but he just needs to locate that pitch better and so far this spring he has and his slider is one of the best in baseball. I mean, it's a top five on whiff rate amongst pitchers in baseball. So he has an elite, elite slider, big time velocity on the fastball. He just needs to be able to place it. And so far this spring, again, not going crazy over spring numbers, but you know, he's he. I don't think he's allowed a hit yet. So I think he has a perfect spring, and he's locating both his pitches, getting swings and misses. So I'm very excited for Miguel Castro. But then when you go to the bottom three, which is obviously where the questions reside, I agree with you in regards to Batansis. I don't think he has it anymore. With that said, I think the Mets will carry him out the gate and just just give him April, maybe. I think you might see them give him April, see see if he could do anything. But yeah, he's, he's easily on the chopping block. Um, and then you go to someone like Jacob Barnes, who, like you said, he's pitched much better of late. I know Jeremy Hefner is super, super high on him and his stuff. And the key for me was that Jacob Barnes was out of options. 
So you can't you can't send Jacob Barnes to AAA. So he he would have to be out of the organization, and that's kind of what I was speaking to before. Where all right, a guy like Robert Gazelman has an option left, so I could send him to the alternate site to AAA and give Jacob Barnes a shot that they're high on him from an analytical perspective. And if he stinks, you DFA him and you bring up a Gazelman. Drew Smith is another one that unfortunately is dealing with uh, some shoulder soreness, so I don't think he's going to be ready for opening day. Otherwise, he would have made this bullpen. So he's he's going to fall a little behind. Uh, a guy like Arotis Vizcaino, who came in on a minor league deal, was was actually impressing me. I mean, he was up to 98, So, but he's dealing with some elbow soreness. So... Viscaino's not going to be available. So the bottom of the bullpen really took some patchworking. And I do think the Mets wanted to have, they want to have someone in the bullpen that's that multi-inning reliever. And this is kind of the quandary that I had when it comes to Lucchese and Yamamoto and, and, and everyone there is bringing out a Mike Montgomery, who's had a really good spring. And I know Louis Rojas has talked him up big time. I don't think he's allowed. Has he allowed any runs? No, no one yeah, runs. No, no one runs. Seven strikeouts in four and two thirds, and he's talked about utilizing him as that multi inning reliever. So I think Montgomery has a good chance to make this roster as a non roster invite, and of course that would require them to open a spot in the forty man roster, which maybe you just sixty day IL Carrasco, like I mentioned, but Montgomery is a guy that had an opt out. So he has a minor league deal, but if the Mets by, I think it was March 27th or 28th, don't put him on the roster, he can leave. He could just go opt out and go somewhere else. Whereas, okay, I could send Jordan Yamamoto to AAA and obviously Gazelman, like I mentioned, get those guys down there, keep them at it as reserves, put Lucchese as the five, add Montgomery to the 40-man and put him on the 26-man as that multi-inning reliever give you a second lefty out of the bullpen to me it, it makes a lot of sense for montgomery to make this team and yeah i mean you got like i said gazelman's another option the options are a little limited because so many guys are banged up but you know once drew smith's healthy i'd like to see him in this bullpen one way or another Arotis Viscaino, if he gets healthy i'd like to see him maybe pitch a little in triple a first but i think he's a guy that could end up making the team at some point and then, of course, we're just waiting for Seth Lugo to come back. Of course, that is going to be a really, really big boost when it happens. And and I'm assuming, because I know he's already been optioned over, but Sam McWilliams, the control's just not there to pitch for the Major League Club, correct? Yeah, I love Sam McWilliams, but uh, he's got he's got to throw strikes. I mean, he was uh, he was walking a lot of guys. I mean, he came into an outing and walked three guys in a row to load the bases and. Managed his way out of it. I would but, say he got out of it. <laughs> yeah, he, he got out of it, but yeah, he, he's he got stuff. Like when you watch him pitch, he's big, strong. You see the velocity. You see the movement on his pitches. So there's something there. I do think there's something with Sam McWilliams, but yeah, he, he's he's got to go to the alternate site in AAA and clean up his mechanics a bit and, and get himself ready because I do think there's a reasonable chance you see him uh, in Queens at some point this season, but He's got to throw strikes or that ain't going to happen. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I looking at it on paper, now that we've gone through the 26-man, I think the bullpen's really shaky out of the gate. I think that, you know, not having Seth Lugo 
for a month is is going to be tough. And I think it, you know, with the way baseball teams are constructed, you typically want to be prepared for an injury in the bullpen because you usually get a big one every year. So somebody's going to have to step up out of this group, whether it's Barnes, whether it's Miguel Castro really is the one that just makes the most sense. I think the opportunities are going to be there because we know they're really going to put a lot of work on Diaz in May while Lugo's out. And those guys are going to get a lot of work even when Lugo's healthy. So it feels like Castro is the guy that slides into the spot of maybe high leverage situations that Lugo often gets. So I think it's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. And I, we, you know, we really beat this into the ground, but you need the starters to give you a good amount of innings this year. In a year where Joe brought it up, how much are they going to push Marcus Stroman? How much are they going to push David Peterson? You know, you look. we know they're going to Grom is the Grom. I think Walker is somebody that, thank God, that, I look at this now and I say, thank God they signed Taiwan Walker with the injury to Carrasco. But, I mean, overall on paper, this is an exciting group. It's got to be the most excited Mets fans have been in a very, very long time when you look at that 26-man roster. So, Let's get to some of the questions that were sent in. As always, really awesome stuff. We appreciate everyone interacting with the show. This one is from at A Poston. How does it work with the luxury tax threshold if the Mets extend any of their players? Joe, I know you just love talking about the luxury tax. Take it away. It's my favorite thing. Uh, You're the, the master of the luxury tax. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know. I don't even know if that's like a compliment or just call me a nerd, but uh, whatever. <laughs> you might um, honestly yeah. low-key work for the Mets and sign- just strictly manage the luxury tax for the team at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, if Steve Cohen's got some money, so I am Without available. Not being paid for it. Yeah. They just listen oh, no, to the oh, show. Oh, whoa, whoa, what? Oh, okay. I was going to say, what the hell? I'm not volunteering. Um, but I guess in theory, I, I, I am, but... Uh, as far as luxury tax for extensions, if they if they do a deal before opening day with Francisco Lindor, that his new his luxury tax number for this year will change based on the AAV of the new contract. But if it's agreed to after opening day, which Lindor has said he won't, Conforto has kind of been wishy washy on that, so maybe there could be in season talks with him. And. Yeah, but pre-opening day, it'll count. So if Lindor goes ahead and gets $30 bucks a year, $32 million a year, his luxury tax number will rise to, to that. All right. Well, there you have it. I think you said something there that's you know particularly more interesting to me is that Conforto you know, seems a little bit more uh, flexible with how things can go, which is a good sign because we've talked about this before it's you know if you were making a prediction you would think that Conforto might get to free agency test it out and that could even be a scenario where you have the trust with the player I think the player wants to be here where he brings back the offers to the table and the Mets can match or exceed it or whatever it may be I think they're it just makes too much sense for Michael Conforto to be here for a long time the Lindor one I, I can't get a read on for the life of me yeah, so with Conforto, I do think he's going to hit free agency, and he's made it clear he doesn't want to talk about the contract anymore, which I don't blame him. I mean, oh, it's enough he, is yeah. enough asking yeah. these guys about yeah. these contracts. Yeah, like they're they're not going to tell you. Like, do you think they're just going to? I mean, they have to. It's the tough thing, right? The media has to ask. 
because they'll get killed if they don't ask. But well, the fans want to know. Yeah, but you're not. But you're not going to get an answer. Like it's not like Kofor's going to go. Oh yeah, I'm glad you asked because we're making some progress. We're going to have a deal soon. <laughs> you know, like you're not going to get the answer you really covet. But yeah, I, I think Conforto's going to hit free agency. I mean, he's going to be the clear cut best corner outfielder on the free agent market, and he's going to get very well compensated for that. Whether that's the Mets or someone else. But Scott Boris wouldn't be doing his job, and it's Scott Boris, so I know he will do his job if he didn't circle back to the Mets with whatever Conforto's offered by someone else come the offseason. Lindor, on the other hand, is very interesting because that market is loaded next year. So it's the opposite of Conforto. Like Conforto, you go just go MLB trade rumors, next year free agent list, and you look at right fielders, Michael Conforto sticks out like a sore thumb. But if you scroll up a little bit and you look at shortstops, Lindor to me is, you know, the cream of the crop, but it's not sticking out like a sore thumb. I mean, it's Lindor, it's Trevor Story, it's Corey Seager, it's Javi Baez, and it's Carlos Correa. So arguably five of the top, I don't know, seven or eight shortstops in the game are all free agents next year. So if I am advising Francisco Lindor, and John Heyman has said that the Mets are willing to go to $300 million now for him. I'm trying to get that deal done in the next nine days. Yeah, Lindor will get well compensated if he goes to free agency. But I don't, wa- I don't want to go into an offseason and have to deal with these f- four other guys that are also premium at my position. Get that 300 plus now and and get it done. And I think the Mets are motivated to get a deal done. I think Lindor has I don't know I don't know if Lindor is motivated, but he has every reason in the world to be motivated to get a deal done. So, I am very hopeful that a deal will get done before uh before opening day. And if not, the Mets are really putting themselves in a corner next offseason where they're going to struggle to make outside acquisitions because they're going to be focusing on how do we lock up our $300 million shortstop? How do we lock up our 150 to $200 million outfielder? How do we lock up our whatever, oh, I don't know, $7,500 million arm, whatever Syndergaard is? Like, how are they going to finagle all that while also trying to make real acquisitions from the outside? It's it's a lot to put on the plate of management. So you'd really like to get one of these out of the way. And Lindor is the one that is just the most obvious for every reason to get done now. Well, you gave up, you know, not a lot, but you did give up something to get him. And the expectations, I think, from the fan base, rightly so, justified, is that this is a 27-year-old shortstop that is going to be a part of this team, hopefully, for the next eight years. And I think on the Mets side, if, you know, if they get to a $300 million number, there's just not a lot of contracts like that in sports, Joe. Like, if Lindor, and that's my fear of this gets ugly, if Lindor's side passes on a $300 million contract from the Mets, you got to sit there and... I I love Francisco Lindor, and I'm not assuming this will happen. I'm just saying if it does. If he passes on that, you got to sit there and wonder, well, what do we have to do? At some point, you really do hit a wall where you're betting against yourself a little bit. So... I'm very curious to see how it plays out. It it does sound like from afar, from what Heyman and a lot of guys are saying, that 
maybe they haven't got there yet, and maybe Lindor's Lindor's party is fixated on that three hundred million. Maybe that's part of it. But I I do think that you know at some point you just we haven't seen it yet that he does I he doesn't want to hit free agency. Maybe he just wants to, and maybe that's just the doom and gloom of me thinking. And maybe in two days the Mets will announce a three hundred twenty million dollar extension, and everything's all in well. I just think I'm very 50-50 right now where I'm 100%. I know I want Francisco Lindor here no matter what, how long it takes. I'm 50-50 on a deal getting done. And a little part of me, the doom and gloom side, is sitting there going, maybe he just wants to have his choices and hit free agency. Yeah, I mean, he might. I mean, I, that's I don't okay. know. Yeah, that's fine. He has every right to do that. I don't know Francisco Lindor, but from what I know so far, I'm a huge fan. And it seems like he's fully embraced being a Met. And... You know, what I'll say is, like my wonderful Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones says, deadlines make deals. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how the next, you know, nine days go. Hmm. It'll be interesting. All right. The next question is from Johnny. Who do you guys feel is the biggest fantasy baseball sleeper on this Mets team? That is a good question because they have a lot of guys that are not sleepers. You know, what you're going to, you know, Lindor is going to be, obviously, expectations as a top player. Conforto, one of the top corner outfields kind of guys. Wow. Sleeper on this team. I'm going to say, I still think Dom will be undervalued to an extent, but I think the real one, because I've seen him just completely written off in the rankings, like really far out there, is Nimmo. If Nimmo bats at the top of the lineup, he is going to score a ton of runs in this offense. Yeah, my answer was going to be Nimmo as well. So for a secondary one, I think Marcus Stroman goes a little underappreciated too. I think he has a chance to have a really good season this year for the Mets. And, you know, I I do one fantasy baseball league. I'm not sure, Connor, how, how much you play. I do one draft. I do one year. big league. Yeah. Yep. yep. I do one for league years, every year. Same yeah. league. Yep. Same thing. Same league. For years, I do one draft. It's so draft. much work, dude. You, it's oh. not like football. You could do three no. leagues. Yeah, it is no. one league, same guys for over yep. half a decade, and yep. we do key, multiple keepers, and it's so much roster work. Yeah. No, baseball is a hassle, and it's every day of this. So fantasy baseball, like I love baseball, but I really don't love fantasy baseball. I just do it because I'm in like a longstanding league. And yeah, our draft is on Friday. I have the third pick. I don't think anyone listens to it this podcast in the league, but I'll let you know how that goes. But I, I have my eye on someone at the third pick that I think is going to, you know, set up my team really good. But yeah, Nimmo and from the pitching side, I think Stroman is one to watch because I know, I mean, I haven't really like dove into fantasy rankings. I kind of just, I'll be honest, I kind of wing my fantasy baseball drafts. Like I just use like my generic baseball knowledge and I don't really play to, you know, rankings and things like that. But I think Stroman's always been kind of down there because he's not a big strikeout guy, but I think he has a chance to have a really, really good season for the Mets. And then Nimmo, of course, to me is the obvious one that he always goes overlooked. I end up with Brandon Nimmo most years on my team just because people don't appreciate him. And if you have on base percentage in your league, like I do, uh, he's obviously even more valuable. Yeah, I'm I'm with you too. My draft is Sunday and it's... I. I look at the rankings and use the rankings, but there's definitely a part of me that just also goes off of being a baseball fan. You know what's a funny one, and I'm looking up 
his ADP right now, I guess I'm kind of wrong. I thought Edwin Diaz would be an undervalued player because Edwin Diaz has built this reputation of the Mets got fleeced in the trade, he blows big games, all of these things. But right now on Fantasy Pros, his ADP is 83, and I don't think that's very low. So what closer but, number is he going as? Does it say there? I will have to find that. That is a very good question. Yeah, because I'm curious, like, are they calling him a top five closer, a top three closer? Because, I mean, Edwin Diaz is a top five closer in the game. I don't care what anyone says. But um, I'm curious how, from the fantasy perspective, if they could, because saves matter in fantasy. And in so theory, much. Yeah, and in theory, the Mets, I mean, go look at the all the Pakoda projections, all that stuff. Number four, Joe. Number four. Closer. There you go. Perfect. But like, if you look at the Pakoda projections, all that, the Mets are being looked at as a 90 plus win team. If they are a 90 plus win team, by proxy, Edwin Diaz is going to have a lot of saves. I mean, if you do strikeouts over nine and saves in your league, which I would assume every league does, that's he's monster in that, in those two categories. So I don't think he's a sleeper because he's ranked higher than I thought. He is going in the top 100 picks. I thought he would have went outside the top 100 picks. But, uh, you know, there was interesting names on this Mets team, without a doubt. I mean, I know we're, per, you know, a little lower on him than probably everyone to an extent. J.D. Davis might kind of be a steal because he's in a lineup where the guys batting in front of him should get on base and he's got pop. And he has uh, a lot of positional versatility in the lineup because he can, you could slot him in at third and in the outfield, which helps a lot of teams as you deal with days off. Days off, and he's going. His ADP is two forty, so that's an interesting one to me because who the hell cares about defense in fantasy baseball? Yeah, he's basically undrafted at that point, right? I mean, unless you have a big roster. So yeah, yeah, he's exactly. basically undrafted. So JD, yeah, I mean, if you're just Frankly, JD's a guy that I probably wouldn't draft, but let him chill in free agency. And then when I naturally lose my third baseman to injury, like seemingly will always happen, you know, JD's a guy you could scoop up and get some cheap pop for a couple weeks. I will give the fantasy pros a little a little nod here. Their expert note on JD Davis is JD Davis is a very underrated hitter, folks, and he is the starting third baseman for the Mets. He will hit, and his ADP is silly. Draft him. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So they they yeah. like him. Yeah. They like him. Everybody listening to the show, make your last pick of your draft, J.D. Davis. Yeah. There you go. Send us screenshots. We want screenshots of everyone when you have your Hashtag draft. Hashtag draft yeah. J.D. is yeah. what you have to say. Hashtag and then, draft J.D. Well, and send us a screenshot proving that you drafted J.D. Davis with the last pick of your fantasy draft. I'll be doing it. I don't think anyone in my league listens to the show either. I'm in a league full of um, Cleveland fans yankee fans a mariners fan it's like the bizarro baseball league of b- bizarro fans so all right the next question this one from brandon welsh which player's stock has risen the most since the start of spring training Whew. you know by default probably lucchese he hasn't been perfect he's been good he hasn't been perfect but this man is is in the starting rotation now for the first two months of the season, barring a meltdown. So I think for Lucchese, by default, all he had to do was be average this spring. 
and with this injury, he, he's going to get slotted in. So that that would be my my no brainer answer there. Interesting. So I had I was torn between two, and Lucchese wasn't either of them. Um, it's Miguel Castro for me, and you know we. I mean, I'm not going to go even crazier. I, I went pretty in depth on Castro just a few minutes ago, but to me, he went from a guy that I looked at as just a middle reliever to the bullpen to a guy that could potentially high leverage, high leverage late in game. So to me, to me, his stock went up and I'll nod Luis Guillerme too. Cause I think when we came, if when we came into camp, we weren't discussing, Oh, Luis Guillerme could potentially unseat JD Davis as the starting third baseman. It was just, Oh, Luis Guillerme is the guy with the really good glove that caught a bat one time in spring training. And you know, he'll be on the bench and come in defensively and wow us there. But He's had a spring where now, I mean, we, we're having a legitimate conversation. Like, is he? Is there going to be a platoon with him and J.D. Davis? Are they going to share time? So to me, it's Castro and then Guillaume are two to, to me that really improved their stocks this spring. Yeah, it's hard not to be on the Guillaume stock bandwagon right now. He is, um, he is the Bitcoin of the Mets. Right. <laughs> a couple of years ago, you're sitting there and you're going, oh, who's this, you know, funky looking guy with the big beard? And he doesn't really look like an athlete. And then you realize he has the best hands on the team. And then he, he catches the bat, the big moment for him. And everyone's like, oh, this Bitcoin things. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's kind of kind of a joke in a sense as a hitter. But we know he's a good glove. And then last year out of nowhere, it's like, wait, this th- this average just keeps going up and up and up and now he's carried it into the spring so uh, Guillaume's fun man I'm with you on that one I I really I've become a big Guillaume fan over time because I think he's the good example of a player that we like to categorize players a little I I know me as a fan I do this too often in sports that aren't football because I'm just a fan of those sports we categorize players so quickly I mean he was a 10th round pick and he was somebody that came up at a relatively young age. He was 23 when he started playing games for the Mets. And I feel like we were all like, ah, he can't hit. He's a good glove. You know, he'll always be like up and down between the minors and majors. And look at him now. It's He's kind of proven a lot of people wrong, I think, so far. Yeah, he's proven people wrong. He's proven me wrong. I, I was... I figured his glove would keep him on a major league bench and you would just be like, well, the days that Guillaume plays, you're batting him eighth and he's going to go. He's an out. For th- yeah, he's going to go 0 for 3 with a walk or something. and that, But he'll maybe make a couple good defensive plays and that's where you'll, you'll get the value. But he worked really hard and it's a credit to him. You know, his offense, you know, that, that I'm not going to say that he's going to be a 300 hitter off the bench for, you know, the, the rest of time. But I don't think I look at Guillaume as an offensive issue anymore. I look at it more of like, he can give you a professional at bat. I mean, he used Jordan Hicks's entire outing <laughs> and had that 22 pitch uh, marathon there. So yeah, I, I think Guillaume is a good one. And I think he's going to be a very, very valuable piece to the 2021 Mets. All right. Final question of episode number 35. This one is from Sean White. Hypothetically, Lindor doesn't get signed. The Mets go into the next offseason without a shortstop. What does that market look like, and is there a shortstop you'd want the Mets to sign over Lindor? So I'll get it right out of the way. If Lindor just says, I'm leaving, or they feel they get that feeling, I go after Trevor Story. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I, I would 
do everything in my power to keep Lindor, like I said. Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, I think he's the cream of the crop. But if, like you said, if if next offseason comes, so he goes, I want to test free agency. And then free agency comes and he goes, well, I really want to go somewhere else. Where I don't even know where else would have the 300 plus million dollars, but uh, go somewhere else and get that money. Then yeah, my attention would go directly to Trevor Story. I think he he'd certainly be the next best option. But hey, at Stephen A. Cohen two at Mets GM, I think Sandy still owns that handle or something. Get Francisco Lindor signed in the next nine days. Get it done. I don't want to have this conversation all year. I don't want to have this conversation next off season. I don't want to sit through rumors all next off season. Oh, the Yankees are in on Francisco Lindor. Oh, so and so's in on Lindor and. You know, Mets may not be confident they could keep him. Just get the damn deal done. Get it over with. Sign him. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> I just want Lindor locked in for the long term. I'm fully sold on the player. I feel pretty sold on the person. In even a short period of time, he feels he already feels like a leader on the team. He already feels like the franchise player. Like get get it done. You got the money. Give the guy the check. Let's roll. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think there, you know, my take in all of this is I think that there is a feeling internally with Cohen that he wants to get that Wilpon stench off so bad that they are hell bent on getting this done, right? Like when I said I'm 50 50, well, of course, Lindor and his crew have a say in this. Maybe they don't want to do the extension that badly. But I think from the Mets side, there is a a very determined outlook from number one. It's a smart baseball move. It's not just a PR stunt, right? But there is a part of it too. That sends a message across the league and in the clubhouse that says we have big dollars to win baseball championships, not just games, you know, championships. And I think that that is a, that is a big factor in this Lindor move. It is the splash. I, I, you could probably go back to one of the first shows we ever did. Something I always heard about with Steve Cohen before the sale even went through was that, and this was the original sale before that fell apart, he knew he would come in and make a huge splash to show the Mets are for real while also helping the team. And, you know, what, some of the thoughts people I talked to was that it was Mookie Betts. Obviously, he he signed an extension. He's not going anywhere. And now it ended up being Lindor. So I will tell you, the motivation is absolutely there for the Mets to get this done. Yeah, it, it better be. I mean, he has to make oh, that statement. Oh, it has state. to be. Yeah, it has to be. He has to make that statement. And I don't care what reporters said. I don't care what whatever Sandy Alderson said. You don't trade both your shortstops and two nice prospects to rent Francisco Lindor. You simply don't do it. That's not, that's just not the deal. You traded for Lindor. He came in, you know, I understand not having a deal done, you know, before spring training, you want him to come to camp, see how he blends in with the guys a bit, kind of get a feel for his personality. But I don't know anyone that's not fully sold on this dude in every sense of the word. And he's fully embraced being a Met. I mean, he's in every sense. I mean, you see him with the, the new, shoes you see and like again that's new york right lindor was lindor getting his new balance shoes in cleveland 
I don't know. He's magically in New York, and and they and they get a shoe deal together, and he comes out with his own signature shoe. Uh, he's doing the photo shoots and the jacket from Coming to America. Like the dude, just he's made. He is made for New York City. Like he, you you acquire players all the time, and you wonder how they'll fit in the big market. Like Francisco Lindor looks like he's been waiting to get the get out of somewhere like Cleveland and get into somewhere like New York. So. There is. I have no qualms. I don't need to see anything. I don't need him to play a regular season to prove that he's worth paying. Like to me, I, I don't really get that perspective. And, and people say it from time to time. Like you sign free agents in the off season, and you don't see them play, and you give them a like they would have given George Springer one hundred and thirty million dollars, and he never played in New York. So what do I? What do you don't need the sample? Like you know what Francisco Lindor is as the Mets player evaluation. You knew that before you even got him. And now you brought him into the building. And now you see how he how he is as a person. And by all accounts, I mean, unless he's putting on the best facade in history, I feel like he's he's tailor-made to be the franchise player for the New York Mets. And he should be signed before the season starts. And let's just make this a happy marriage now. And quite frankly, if you're going to dish out a franchise contract... In especially, you know, obviously just looking at it from a baseball lens, because in, in football you would say, oh, you know, quarterback, offensive tackle, pass rushers, right? You look at it, basketball is a little different, of course. In hockey, you're always looking for that first-line center with inc- just incredible scoring touch. In baseball, it's you're going to dish out a franchise contract for an ace and, in my opinion, a shortstop that – is all five tools. Steals bases, hits home runs, gold glove, caliber glove. And like you said, Joe, the the X factor in all of this is the character, is that everybody loves being around this guy and he, uh, you know, lifts his team up. So, I mean, it's just, I, it's, it's hard to call something a no-brainer when there's over $300 million involved that is not my money. But in a sense for me, it, it is a no-brainer. So, episode 35, Joe, closing thoughts. Can't wait next week when we come on the air and do an episode. We're going to be two days from opening day. So just thank everyone for all the support. You know, get all the questions every week. We try to get to as many as we can. You know, please, you know, follow on Twitter at That's So Mets Pod. Uh, please subscribe where you get your podcast. Rate five stars. Leave some reviews. It's been, it's been a minute since we read a review. So let's get those going again. But yeah, we're in for a big season of Mets baseball, and I can't wait to be doing this podcast through a full 162-game season of baseball. And, you know, we'll, we'll touch on it all. Minor leagues, major leagues, draft, you name it. This is the place to be. And uh, yeah, can't wait that we're, we're really on the precipice of a 162-game baseball season, which it feels like the last time we had one was like five years ago when it really was just two. But it feels like it's been so long since baseball's been, you know, a part of our life from April through hopefully October this year. I know. It's kind of crazy. And I believe next week's show should be our last one before real games are happening. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, we're nine. We're nine yeah. days away. We're nine days away. So next next Tuesday's show will be two days out from the opener. Which thank. I mean, how thankful should we be that we get to be on at seven ten p.m. on ESPN? <laughs> I will be that Saturday, April third. That's the Mets' second game of the season. 
It's a 405 game. And I believe that's an SNY game or picks. Either way, Gary, Keith, and Ron. That will feel like heaven after that Thursday game. Absolute heaven. Not a night game. And, you know, four o'clock, great time for baseball with the real crew. We're excited. So, episode 35 in the books. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.